welcome to Campfire Conversations, part of the 2021 Hebridean Dark Skies Festival. My name is Andrew Eaton-Lewis, and in this series I'm talking to fascinating people from the worlds of astronomy, psychology and the arts about our festival themes, winter, darkness and the night sky. Campfire Conversations was created by Anne Lanter in association with the Scotsman, and this year's festival is supported by Caledonian McBrain, an Outer Hebrides leader. Renzo Spiteri is a musician and composer who grew up in Malta, but now lives on Shetland. For a long time, Renzo performed across the world as a percussionist, but he now makes music using field recordings of the real-world sounds around him. Street noises from Valletta and Malta, and, more recently, the ocean, beaches, clifftops and hills near his new island home. Renzo's latest piece is called Stillness, and he describes it as a journey through the different textures of darkness and light. Stillness was created before the lockdown, but I think it's taken on a whole new meaning now, in a time when so many of us have been forced to stay still and perhaps pay more attention to our immediate surroundings. I began by asking Renzo what he thought of that idea. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very interesting point, actually, um, because in a way it has given a deeper meaning to the performance, but also to the title itself, sort of in a, in a very sort of reflective manner. Um, stillness as a performance has, has come about because of my time outdoors um, being in sort of um, experiencing environments which are pretty still and giving me the time to sort of absorb um, the surroundings around me and being inspired by those surroundings and even recording sort of sounds gleaned from from these surroundings. And during lockdown, sort of because we've been experiencing sort of this forced isolation in a way i think i think people have experienced that in many different levels i mean here on shetland we've experienced it very differently from people living in cities for example so we could still you can still go around for walks and do a two-hour walk without actually meeting anyone if you wanted to um but because of of um the activity that has diminished in in, in different places things have kind of muted and there has been more, more sort of um, heightened observations of, of of our sounds, of our surroundings. So, and to me, that's a positive thing, really. I mean, it's one of the positive things that have come out from this sort of very long, long period of having to abide to rules and regulations and being careful and caring for, for ourselves and other people's health um, matters, really. Mm. So tell me about some of the sounds that people would hear um, in this piece. Well, um, stillness is really um, sort of the product of um, three, four months of me going around different um, areas around around Shetland and and gathering sounds, which are not necessarily heard by our sort of naked ear, but mm because of like um, the the help of microphones, feed recording microphones and hydrophones, which are microphones which you put in water and you can listen to sounds gathered from underneath the, the surface. Um, sort of, 
you get this privilege of of hearing unheard sounds and it's like looking through things through a microscope and then sort of amplifying those in a way that they can be heard sort of through through speakers and you get to experience more of the unheard than the heard and that opens a really amazing new sound vocabulary um, which sort of enhances my approach to creating these sort of performances which are sort of semi semi improvised pieces because there are things which are kind of prepared in a way but they're like only very uh, short bits of like reference points but a lot of it is very much improvised and on the spot using different samples and sound gathered and i kind of recreate a sound texture out of these sounds that i would have gathered so sounds could be from i think like from deep deep water sounds to wind blowing through heather and um spring water running through um rocks mm. to to more sort of um more common sounds like bird calls and or or the combination of bird calls and and hydrophone recording so there's a mixture of something which is above sea level and which our ear experience and something which is hidden and that gives a new set of perspective to our surroundings really so i try to to reorchestrate of a sound world um which actually comes from from a sound world that already exists mm. um, how long have you been living on shetland so Officially, um, we moved to Shetland in September of last year. Ah, so not that long. Okay. So not that long. But um, the first time, the first time um, we were in Shetland, that was in April of 2018. Okay. That was part of of a project that from which Stillness was born, and I think between April and and July, I was here very often and went around many different parts of Shetland and islands around that to sort of experience it, not like a tourist kind of experience, but a very sort of profound phenomenological experience, so to speak. So it was pretty much being still in places and having a notebook and recording devices and just writing down thoughts and and gathering ideas and inspirations really um so and the more i spent time in shetland the more i kind of fell in love with the place and after a time of reflection it was like um i think it's about time that we actually make this bold move so to speak and that was yeah that was september of uh of uh, last year so are you quite settled there now do you think you'll be there for a long time I hope so. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the plan really. Um I like the fact that I can well I mean COVID has been a bit of a setback with regards to sort of performances and traveling and whatnot. But at the same time, if there was one place that I really wanted to be during this period that was Shetland, just because it feels so safe to be around. And that's I was mentioning before, sort of um, yeah, you still you still abide to all the restrictions, but at least you don't have to be kind of locked inside mm. because of the risk of like being in contact with people. And I like the fact that you can choose to be in contact with people as much as you can choose not to be in contact with people, um, which is great. It gives that kind of um, 
balanced state of being um which i really which i really enjoy so yeah so the plan is is yeah i mean we do consider this our home now mm. but you grew up on on malta yes yes yeah yeah i was born i was born in malta yet another island um mm. but it's 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 a very different atmosphere um in the sense that it's a small island but um very densely populated um it's it's got half a million people living on an island which is about 16 miles by by nine mm. and and like so much traffic so much building and um so that is a huge sort of massive contrast um to to Shetland and the one thing that I always loved about Malta is the sea it's it's where sort of you can look out and there's no obstruction whatsoever to what is behind you which could be like these tall buildings and this um heavy traffic going on and and I think the one thing that really attracted me to Shetland was the fact that I could still connect um with the sea which is which is sort of a very very important factor in my in my process of creativity and inspiration and and yet be able to enjoy that in sort of very remote and and quiet environments um so so i still sort of carry that island spirit but kind of transpose that to to an island which is geographically so so far away from it (laughs) Mm. I mean, I was looking back at some of your uh, past work and um, I was reading about uh, what was your first kind of solo sound installation called Between the Herd, which was yeah. recorded in, in Valletta, and, and, and yeah. probably, which is a very different kind of ambience, and, you know, street sounds and that kind of thing. T- tell me about that. Yeah, um, that, was, that was a very interesting project. I mean, um, Valletta being the capital of Malta, it's one place where a lot of people spend their time for work, for entertainment purposes, or to meet people. And I've been one of those people who have literally been in and out just because you need to spend two hours, four hours, whatever it takes to do your stuff and then just run out of there because it, I never was so inclined to spend time. Mm. But at the point in time, I was sort of trying to, there's a very diff- there's a very particular architectural um, um, format to the streets in Valletta because it's like a grid, it's it's really like a grid and it was built by the knights um, in, in in between 1600s and 1700s, and and they did that on purpose just because they wanted to make use of the wind that comes in from the sea mm. and try and keep houses as as fresh. As possible just because of the heat that there is on the island and i started looking at sort of these this grid as an overview of a, of a pattern of different dynamics so to speak so there are certain main roads where there's a lot of activity going on but the more you get to the edges of the city there's less less activity and less sonic events also so i wanted to sort of put these on like a music stave, stave for and and see how how sort of the middle part of the city varies from the edges of it so i started going around recording sounds from different parts of the city at different times of the day and and i really got a sense of being 
it, it was like a very new experience to me because I had never had the time to actually be still in the middle of a place where people are just running in and out for business and whatnot. Mm. And, and looking up towards like these old wooden balconies and, and certain architectural features, which although I had been coming in and out of that place for many, many years, I had never actually noticed them. So, so it gave me a new perspective of the city. And I just wanted to gather this in a way um, that I could record sounds and reimagine sort of the city in my own way. And I did a multi-channel sound piece. And what I wanted to do is create this multi-channel piece in a space within the main art center that there is in Valletta. Um, in a sort of very focused manner. So the lighting was very particular. I, I sort of darkened the room in a way that people are coming into the space from this really sort of hub of activity, um, coming into a space, listening to the sounds that are actually around them. Mm. I did not transform any of the sounds and I did not resample any of the sounds. I left them very sort of raw, but I sort of wanted to heighten sort of the sonic experience, which is outside. And, and let people go into a space and absorb these sounds in a way that when they walk out of the space and within 30, 20, 25 meters from this very focused space, they're again out in the street and they're listening to these sounds again. And I got a lot of comments from people saying, hey, I did hear um, sort of, uh, this musician in the corner of the street who has been playing the oboe for many, many years, but I never took notice of him. And I sort, sort of stood there for a couple of minutes just to appreciate what he was playing or sort of the chatter in certain bars or pubs. And there are loads of them with tables outside for people to sort of enjoy and the atmosphere of the city. So there was this really interesting perspective of people walking in being sort of almost um deaf and not conscious of of these sounds just walking in and spending as much time as they wanted to and then going out there and all of a sudden realizing that the sounds that they heard inside this very focused space are actually the sounds that are just out of the building itself so there's there was this very interesting dynamic between letting people have the time to experience these sounds with very minimal distractions because it was just a five channel, five channel sound piece. And people could stand in the middle of it and get the sum of these five speakers or move very closely to these speakers and discover what sound is coming out from each and every one of them. And so I did that in a kind of playful manner in a way. So, so um, there was a lot of detail of like foreground and background sounds which were mixed into each other. Um, just to make people stop and listen as much as possible. And was that the first time you'd worked with um, found sounds, just the sounds around you, or had you done that before in other projects? I had, I had been working, but um, sort of on very minimal sort of textures, using them in in live performance and mixing them with stuff that I was playing. But I had never actually done a proper sound installation piece. I had been thinking of doing that, but sometimes it was because of time restraints. And also I always had this feeling that I still needed to learn a bit more 
um, of how to go about things just to present something which has sort of the the desired effect. Mm. So, um, and I was always fascinated by sort of being in places where I could experience sound pieces and there's no sort of visual distraction and you're just focused on 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 the sense of 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 hearing um so in the end i thought that verta being sort of a familiar place and yet there was so much unfamiliar things when i started sort of spending more time just being still in places i said this could be a really good conversation um between me and myself really and truly it's like um so it was like a process of discovery on on different levels not just about the way of wanted of how i wanted to go about this sound station piece but me sort of having a more intimate relationship with a space that i thought i knew so much and that i i knew very little about <laughs> And you've taken a, a similar approach with a few projects since. I and mean, I was reading about um, the murmuring of trees, um, yeah. which is uh, the product is, as you said, of a lot of research, but just a lot of spending time with trees. And tell me a bit about, and tell me something that you've learned about trees that that um, I might not know. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, that's my latest project, the murmuring of trees, um, that was supposed to be uh, premiered in Malta in in. Uh, this month in December, hmm. but we didn't make it to Malta just because there were some flight complications and there was a delay from Samba Airport here in Shetland, and we would have missed our connecting flight from Aberdeen to London, and I needed to be in the theatre for two days before the actual performances to do all the tech and preparatory work. But um, I had been reading a bit about trees, and I always was sort of fascinated by. Um, the the underground activity that there is that connects trees, you know, between them, because we see trees sort of as sort of these pillars of time, so to speak. Um, even here in Shetland, although there aren't a lot of trees, but the few trees that there are here, I mean, they survive all the harsh conditions and they're they grow very slowly just because it's quite challenging. And yet when they make it, they are so beautiful to, to see. Mm. Uh, but I was interested so, so about this network that's underneath that feeds trees and there's a sense of, of, of communication between them. And I was fascinated to, to read um, in different books about how trees help each other to survive. And that kind of resonated with me in a very particular manner, especially during this period of time where we're kind of um, pretty much sort of keeping to ourselves and yet feeling the need of being connected, um, not physically, but transmitted through like, like what we're doing, like through online tools and whatnot. So it still gives us this kind of network um, of connectivity. And I drew these parallels between our period during COVID as, as human beings sort of standing alone and yet feeling the need to be connected and trees standing alone and being so connected under underground. And so I started working on this commission and I just felt the need to spend time. And I'm very lucky that uh, where we live, this house that we have, 
we have a lot of trees around us too, which is quite a big plus for Shetland. So I was spending time around trees and in summer sort of it's, they're nice and leafy. And I started recording a lot of sounds from there. Um, and I wanted to create a narrative because at the same time, I was also reflecting on certain realities. Like for example, there are places around the world, be it like even Malta, but also like Amazon forest and whatnot, where so many trees are being, are being destroyed to pave uh, ways for like progress and buildings and whatnot. And the destiny of trees, like in certain places where they are so cared for and planting more trees and, and, and taking good care of them is sort of at one end of the spectrum while on the other end there are trees that are being bulldozed and whatnot. So I created this narrative of um, like happenings between like positive happenings and not so positive and tense um, happenings which are related to the existence of trees. And I decided to design the piece in a way that it becomes a piece which has all this music content. It has 10 brand new tracks, which I composed and played. And, but there's also a choreographic element to it. So there are three dancers featured. And there was a lot of research done for this work um, because I wanted the dancers to read a lot, to research a lot also so that they can understand sort of the connectivity that there can be between humans and trees and so much that we, that we don't know about them. And so, uh, this became a full-fledged 55-minute piece. Do you find yourself being drawn to, drawn more to particular sounds as you grow older? I mean, sounds of nature rather than sounds of the city and human activity? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I've spent, because I've spent so many years traveling and uh, sort of, a very sort of fast-paced um, lifestyle, which takes you to to so many countries, and in the end, realize when you start listing these countries, you, you you've actually visited theaters, but not countries. So there are quite a few places which I've been to, but I've never actually seen, and it's a massive pity. Um, and I started getting a bit tired of that at a point in time because I was having less time to to be on my own and have the uh, proper time to be creative and to focus on on things just because it's all sort of a race against time and and I was drawn again because I come from an island surrounded by the sea and was now I, I, I was always very attracted to the sea from when I was young but the older I grew the more I was attracted to this idea of listening to the sea, which is probably, to me, the most beautiful sound that exists nowadays. And just because it's so, it's so unpredictable and there's no repetition whatsoever to it. And, and because it gives me a certain energy at any time of the year. I don't mind the rough seas as much as I, 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 I don't mind the calm seas. And I don't mind being on a boat that's crossing from Aberdeen to Shetland and it's rocking all night long just because the sea's so rough. Um, I just love it. So I think if there's one place where I'm finding myself um, spending more and more time is being being next to the sea. And um, 
I think I think it's it's just it's just beautiful to be able to do that. Um, so so it's sort of I don't know if it's age or because I'm getting older, <laughs> probably. Um, but I do find that I can focus more on whatever I want to do, and I, I sort of am satisfied much more nowadays with certain things that I'm doing. Mm. So I might be doing. Um, quantity-wise, maybe less work than I used to do like some years ago. But I think um, from, a, from a quality point of view, I, I've, I think now I'm at a state where I can look back at certain projects and say, you know what, I really like this because most of, of the time I'm, I'm very sort of critical and harsh with myself. But I'm sort of allowing myself to sort of sit back and say, I know that this has been the result of so much reading, so much talking to people, so much interacting with spaces, so much time to actually um, reflect on what I'm doing. And then I can go out there on the road and, and present something which I'm very, very sort of um, proud of. Mm. I, was, I mean, I was, I was interested to know what um, someone like you makes of the kind of conversations that people are having in lockdown about slowing down, about trying to live in a different way, because it feels like a little bit like you were kind of a, a ahead of the curve in, in that. And <laughs> a lot of your work is about uh, about that, about that, you know, the, the stillness, the reflection, the, the, yeah. the really kind of focusing on on the, the, your immediate surroundings. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, well I think um, apart from the fact that sort of the initial shock of the whole COVID situation was um, that my my calendar of bookings and whatnot was sort of um, wiped out completely because everything was cancelled or postponed. But apart from that, um, it wasn't such a big concern for me because um, I was like, right, we're we're here now, and I always wanted to sort of have time to start thinking about new projects. Of course. You'd want to be working on certain projects, knowing all too well that your your work, your job is 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 ongoing. So there was a moment where I had to sort of negotiate with this new reality and and um, having to think, right, what do we do now? Um, but once I kind of settled into the new situation, I could think about things that I that I really wanted um, to do and never had the time to. And like, for, for example, this commission, Murmuring of Trees, came about at a very sort of good time. And when I had spoken to the sort of manager at the National Theatre in Water, where it's going to be presented, and we spoke about it and what I had in mind, I said, this is perfect for me because I can take all the time that I want to, to do the work, to do the necessary research, and to do all the field recordings without sort of having to think about other things that I was that were supposed to happen during that period of time, like performances and travel and whatnot. So, so um, in a way it was, yeah, I mean, so many positive things have come out of that. Um, I, I was looking at your Instagram and it, one of the things it says in your Instagram is, is, is that you love winter. Yeah. <laughs> Are you more of a winter person than a summer person, do you think? I, I definitely am. Um, maybe that has changed um a bit now that we're in Shetland because um I'm not very much of a summer person especially when it comes to sort of high high temperatures and 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 heat and humidity mm. um we don't get that 
kind of thing here on Shetland. Like we, we don't get high temperatures in Malta. For example, it can go to 40 degrees, 41 degrees. And that to me is unbearable. My, at least my body was not designed for that. Um, so it kind of, it had always distracted me and drains me and I'm not able to sort of work or think properly or function properly. Um, but apart from that, I just love winter, even our winters here with, with so little daylight um, because it gives me more time to focus on my work. And I do like to work, like for example, in my studio, most of the time while I'm working, it's very dimly lit um, just because I like to work um, in that kind of environment. So I think it really gives me um, more focus. When, when it's summer here, for example, last summer, it was a, quite a struggle in a way to to force myself to stay indoors and work on the murmuring of trees when it's so beautiful out there and you just want to be out and walk and, and cycle and do whatever you want. Um, so, and they're just glorious, beautiful summer days. Um, and winter just gives you that focus that you can sort of spend time indoors. And I have a special relationship with with darkness. I like, like to spend time outdoors looking at, you know, dark skies and just trying to see through sort of this darkness for details, you know, this, this minute things that... Um, are sort of very inspiring to me. So it's like trying to create a very detailed orchestral um, situation with, with certain minute sounds and how you want to use them. And sometimes you're just looking through darkness and you just follow a pattern of something like perhaps a shaft of light from the moon over the sea. It's like, wow, I just love that movement. I would like to replicate that movement in some kind of sonic texture of sorts. Mm. So... So there's a sort of an, yeah relationship that I've had for a very long time. I remember even studying and practicing on, on, on percussion and whatnot and doing that very much in a darkened room and just having perhaps just a small light on some music that I'm practicing and just that. Yeah, I'm, I'm conscious that one of the things we haven't talked about at all is your work as a as a percussionist. We've really focused on your on or sound work yeah. and your and your recording. But but for a long time, being a percussionist was the thing that you were best known as. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in how that impacts on how you see the world. I mean, do you, do you hear rhythm everywhere? Do you, you know um, <laughs> sounds around you? Yeah, um, I mean, this rhythmic thing is 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 quite interesting actually because um i started off sort of from this obsession of always you know you need to be in time and strict time time structures and and because that's your primary role what, whatever you're playing whether you're a drummer or a percussion player and it's like you really have to be on the clock with things um because if not things won't work and probably we're going to throw everyone off um and i at a point in time, I started thinking sort of a kind of what if situation, sort of what if I had to free myself from these very sort of tight structures and, and sort of try and express myself in a sort of freer, more liquid manner. And that's when I started having trouble with some musicians because it's like, <laughs> that doesn't work. Where's the time? Where's the tempo and whatnot? And I started experimenting a lot sort of as a solo solo 
percussion player where I had the freedom of expressing myself through my instruments in a way that I had never experienced before, just because you cannot. And and I started to find a new language of 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 freedom. And that sort of expanded my expressive expressive vocabulary, so to speak, because I could start working on things where I don't have to think of being in four, four, three, four, seven, eights, whatever the time signature is. Mm. Um, so I started building these solo pieces, which are very percussive, um, and yet trying to give a new dimension. So, so at first, I remember people were coming to concerts, and they were conditioned by so many years of me playing with so many people and whatnot, and thinking that this is going to be like a virtuoso sort of performance of this guy just playing one million notes a second on, on, on stuff. And they get these really slow moving pieces. And the stage, yeah, it's like this very impressive stage with so many percussion instruments on it. And people would be thinking, wow, this guy's gonna be flying from left to right, just, you know, playing with sticks and feet and whatnot. And it, it sort of, then you go to this experience of like really slow moving um, things and giving another dimension, another language to instruments, which like a drum kit, people would think, oh goodness, drum kit, this is gonna be something loud. And then you go out there and you play them with the softest mallets you can possibly think of and yeah. having sort of these really fine sounds coming out of it. So I think people then started to think in terms of like, okay, so there is a language beyond what is sort of the more familiar. And and I loved that. I mean, some people loved it, others didn't. Um, but that's 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 great also because that's a point of debate and discussion as well. Um so so sort of sort of my work developed more as a solo artist from then onwards, but then I started finding people who had the same sort of, were on the same page also, who wanted to experiment with the sense of space and the sense of fluidity in, in musical texture. Does that encourage a different kind of listening, do you think? Is it, I'm, I'm just picturing a big stage with all these musicians on and, and this expectation that you talked about of lots of noise and lots of things happening. And I've, I think I would find myself getting really leaning in to try, to try and hear everything, you know, if, you know, if you have the expectation of a lot of noise and there isn't, then you, perhaps you pay attention. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it, it really sort of links, links with what we're saying about sort of this idea of, of focused listening, of deep listening. Mm. And that's something as years went by, I was sort of more interested in a listening experience rather than people actually seeing me as a performer. So I wanted to shift the attention to to sort of the whole aesthetic um, situation of what is this about? Is it about this person or a bunch of people who are on stage playing? Or is it about the sound and the music? Um, I remember having a really interesting conversation once with someone who went to a concert and he said, he said, I went to this brilliant concert. He said, it was great. Uh, I said, what did, you, what did you enjoy? He said, Oh, the costumes were fantastic, and the lights, and the projections. And then I said, "Yeah, but what about the music?" He said, um, he said "Oh, I don't know, really." He said, he said "Because <laughs> so that was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like 
um, are people being given the chance to actually listen to a product rather than being overwhelmed by the whole aesthetic thing of like lights and projections and wonderful costume changes and what which is great um you know but but when you start thinking when you start talking about the content like the musical content people are kind of um oh hang on a second um i can't actually tell you much about that really um so i sort of wanted to try and shift this whole idea to people to sort of lean forward and to open their ears more and to and to be more present within within that space um, and that gave me the chance to start experimenting even sort of within the architecture of a space. How, how can a performer change the architecture of a space by sort of dimming lights and having very sort of focused attention and you're almost taken to an elsewhere, you know, to a journey which, which conjures imagery sort of if, you, if, if it's a personal experience and people come back and say, oh, sort of it's like I felt like I've been in an elsewhere sort of mm. and, and and that to me is, is is pretty rewarding and and i don't mind like nowadays there are so many people who actually just close their eyes to listen to music and and they actually see very little of me i'm perfectly happy with that to bring it back to stillness though i mean uh, the ambience is quite important and visually i mean I, I, it's it's partly performed almost in darkness is that right yeah, yeah. There's actually um, there's a very sort of minimal um, light light design to it, um, which which works really well um, because it just gives me sort of enough light for me to see where 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 the stuff is that I'm playing and knobs and things that I'm touching. Um, but I wanted to sort of maintain a certain simplicity, and again, just because it's so much. Because stillness is so much a result of me being in places where I've sort of gleaned all these textures and and all my inspirations from being in a very still environment. I sort of I wanted to take all this information and build something which can then be shared with other people and share this sort of experience. Um, so I always think that to to do that. You can only do that if you offer a space that actually um, encourages this sort of situation and where people can actually feel engaged with these particular sound textures that I'm creating and even the sort, the sort of instrumentation that I play. Um, it, it, there's a certain element of curiosity because there are certain things which um, a lot of people have seen for the first time, like certain handmade stuff that I've done and certain combination of sounds, they sort of would want to know what is actually happening. Um, so yeah, there's a balance between sort of the curious element of it, but also this whole idea of being enveloped in these particular sounds yeah. as audience. Other than your solo work, I mean, you've you've uh, collaborated with many different musicians, as you said, and and also. Um, working with dancers and choreographers seem to is something that seems to come up a lot, and and that's happening again yeah. with a new project that you're working on called Sounding Dance. Tell me about that. Yeah, so so um, Sounding Dance is, is is an ongoing project, and because I've been I've been working for many years with dancers, um, 
uh, doing music for for dance for contemporary dance companies, but also spending a lot of time with dancers and choreographers in in studio environments where 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 sometimes I'm asked to lead some of the dance classes by playing live um, uh, live instrumentation to them, but also doing workshops with them about the relationship of sort of um, what's the dancer's relationship to sound and music, because there was a time when like I started realizing that a lot of choreographers, for them, any music sort of worked as long as there's a count of four to it. So they say, you know, five, six, seven, eight, and any music would do, and they've already got the steps done, so it could be anything. Mm. I started questioning this idea of what are the dancers actually dancing to? Is it just sort of a metric figure, or is it the music itself? And And... Uh, this question sort of developed into workshops, which I've done uh, in different countries. And then I had this ongoing debate with the dance department at the University of Malta. Um, and um, from there, from there, sort of, I started developing this idea of working sort of very, very closely with, with dancers to, to establish a relationship of 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 um, not just music but also what's the relationship of like physical movement and 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 music itself and sounding dance came as an afterthought because at the point in time i said what if i asked the dancers to pull themselves out from this very familiar environment which is the studio and taking them out in streets and let them listen to, to the sound environment around them and be inspired by those sounds to create movement rather than going with something which has been composed for them and they just press play mm. and prepare movement to it. So the unpredictable um, elements of a busy street, um, the sort of plurality of events um, was something that I was very interested in and how that information feeds a dancer and her or his body and the movements that come with it. So I started filming them with no sort of preparation whatsoever. So we'd have a workshop of like listening um, techniques, which would be done in a studio space or something like that. And then I would ask them to spend half a day going somewhere in, in a street or wherever they choose to and spent time, time there just listening. And then I would just turn up with a camera and a microphone to record the environment and to film their, their improvised situation as a response. So it becomes a very sort of a response to, to a site or to a space. And, and I always tell them there, there won't be a second take. So it's not like you run back to the camera after I filmed and say, oh, look, can I have a look to see how, how I look? Do I look good or this and that? It's a very sort of very instant situation. And it's been, it's been doing really well sort of in, any, in every country where I've done that. Um, there's been a really um, positive conversation happening of how dancers have realized sort of the sense of of listening, how important it is, and it doesn't have to be based on on musical structures. Mm. Because I, I always think that whatever we're surrounded with is 
is the soundtrack of our life, really, wherever we are. And, and there's an orchestrated element to it, which is changing all the time. And, and I love to think that we can never sort of repeat or replicate that. So I just wanted to capture these moments with dancers and asking them to, to engage themselves with these environments and, and to react to those environments. And that's sort of the body of work that's, that's growing with sounding dance. That's that's really interesting. So so in in the same way, so it sounds as if the, in the same way that as a percussionist, you've been kind of moving away from kind of conventional ideas about rhythm and and working with musicians who are willing to go on that journey as well. You're now kind of you're applying that to to um, your work with choreographers and, and dancers as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Because um, I think I think it's very important for for all of us artists in our sort of growth and in our journey, in our creative journey, to always sort of move away from 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 what's our comfort zone mm. and to discover new elements which can feed into our work. So so a lot of dancers um, that have continued to um, be in, sort of maintain a conversation with me, they've sort of taken these qualities back into the studio and applying them even to the choice of of music that they are choreographing to it does it, it, sometimes it's just sound based elements and not necessarily a musical piece and and I, I know that in some places they've also taken this up as part of their curriculum of work in certain um, dance studios where um, dancers are encouraged to spend time outdoors and they've and they're also doing their own projects now sort of mapping cities and places where where, where their studio is in a way that they're producing work which is outside um of of the studio space and it has worked really well also during this COVID period where people have been able to spend time on their own and experiment um be it in their small garden or in their flat or 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 in in a park somewhere and and filming themselves um in these environments do you, do you ever still feel the urge just to hit things in a very rhythmic sort of way <laughs> Oh yes, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I still, I still do that, and and I love, and I haven't moved uh, away from that completely because I still love to work with with artists, and um, so, so so I sort of do certain things which are like solo works and whatnot. But um, just yesterday, um, I had a singer songwriter from Shetland here, and we were sort of practicing for some forthcoming projects and i i still yeah i have my kit and i practice every now and then and i still do my things and and hand percussion and whatnot because it's like being an athlete you know you need to um continue being fit and and studying new things and discover new rhythms from different places and whatnot or discovery of a new instrument um so yeah i still like to hit things absolutely <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Campfire Conversations, part of the 2021 Hebridean Dark Skies Festival, which takes place at Anlanta on the Isle of Lewis, as well as online throughout February. The festival is supported by Caledonian McBrain, an Outer Hebrides leader, in partnership with Callanish Visitor Centre, Lewis Castle College, UHI, Stornoway Astronomical Society, and Gallon Head Community Trust. 
Campfire Conversations was created by Anne Lanter in association with The Scotsman and presented by me, Andrew Eaton-Lewis. The sound was mixed by Hamish Brown. If you'd like to find out more about the Hebridean Dark Skies Festival, visit Anne Lanter's website, www.lanter.com. <laughs>